You're listening to the Ron and Don Show. To the Ron and Don Show. And yes, my dad's pretty annoying. All right. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 124 of the Ron and Don Show. He's Ron. I'm Don. We're live from the shores of South Lake Union, doing a little social distancing right now. And coming up on the Ron and Don Show, just lots of headlines. And I love doing this. I'm going to pitch. Ron's going to hit. I'm going to throw some headlines his way, do a little call and response. Before we get to that, though, before we get to that, let's get to this. Don't forget, Ron and Don, licensed brokers at Windermere. Congratulations to Dan, Terry, Connor. Big day for them last week, right? Yeah, absolutely. Been looking at houses. This was shocking to me of how competitive it is right now. Uh, we both we went out and showed them tons and tons of homes, found some ones they liked, and then it turned into just a punching match uh, between buyers out there right now. So if you've been sort of on the sidelines and thinking, ah, this COVID thing shut everything down, ah, not a lot going on, you could not be more wrong. It is active. It is competitive, and if you're uh, in the under a million dollar range in the Seattle area, and probably a little bit lower, if you go down to Pierce County, a little bit lower if you're in the surrounding areas, it is super competitive. On the east side, that it's 1.3 and below. Everybody's jumping on it. Everybody wants in. Uh, this is a really interesting time in real estate uh, that, that brings up a lot of uh, ancillary issues, but... The, the big point to me is congratulations to them. Uh, we fought hard, and we were able to get them a, a really great house. Yeah, we came early, we came hard, we came with cash, and we got it done. So congratulations, Terry, Dan, and our man, Connor! Now the dogs have a place to live. Those are some big dogs, man. Those are cool dogs, Connor. Anyway, hey, uh, coming up, we'll get the headlines. Before we get to those headlines, though, uh, as I came in to greet Ron today, he handed me the newspaper, and he said, you know what? This is a bit heartbreaking. And on the front page of the Seattle Times, we see a picture of an officer, Officer Alec Cohen. He's the Minneapolis officer that was involved in the murder of George Floyd. He's, Not the one with the, the, the knee on the neck, though. He was the one standing uh, and sort of per, around the patrol car while the other officer had his knee on the back of the neck. Yeah, what's really interesting, he's a rookie. Uh, he is out actually going through training because we know that the main officer there was a training officer. And so here he is. He's a rookie. You're in a situation where you're and, and we've all been there where you're brand new to a job and you walk into the break room for the first time or you go out and you're in training and you, you, you kind of look up to the person that's training you. Right. And even if you disagree with something. A lot of times it's hard to react and it's hard to push back. And it had to be difficult for him to really assess what was going on here. Because when it comes to restraining suspects, there is a lot that is involved. There is a lot that is allowed. And we are learning that as we look at police departments and people talk about defunding or retraining police departments around the country. Well, this story went way deeper for me in this regard. This is a mixed-raced man. His mother is white. His father is black. His dad's not around anymore, so he's raised by a, a white woman, even though he is of mixed race. He identifies as black. And so he, part of his story, and it's a very long story, I encourage you to read it. Part of his story was he wanted to get into law enforcement to be a positive change. If you remember, Minneapolis has had more than one incident involving uh, police violence against a person of color. And this officer was like, I'm going to be part of the solution. 
So he goes in, he becomes a part of law enforcement, and imagine all the stuff that you brought up. You're a person of color. You're a newbie. You want to be a force for change. You're indoctrinated into a very specific culture. Law enforcement is very similar to the military. It's very similar in a lot of ways to the highest levels of sports. You have to be, you are are tested as soon as you get in there with these unwritten codes of, are you one of us or are you one of them? Are you on the inside? Do you have my back or not? If we're in a situation that is dangerous, can I count on you? And so there's all these hazing rituals that are involved, all this sort of unspoken and unwritten codes that are involved when it comes to law enforcement and the military. So he's trying to navigate that. Navigate it, A, as a, as a rookie officer, B, as a rookie officer of color, C, as a rookie officer of color in a police department that's had racially uh, tinged incidents that have made national news. And so, and then he's also doing that as a, as a young man that has come up without a dad. And so if you just put yourself in his situation, he's not the one with the knee on the back of the neck. He's the one securing the scene. He sees a teenage girl of color pointing her cell phone at him saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? How torn would you be if he's identifying with the black man on the ground culturally He is trying to find his place in this hierarchy with the officer who has 17 years experience, uh, who's got his knee in the back of the neck of George Floyd. Who's the training officer. Who's the training officer. And it it is an impossible situation. Then he gets arrested. So then he gets arrested. If I'm trying to mount a defense on that, and I'm him, I'm saying, dude, what do you want from me? I'm the rookie officer. I've been, it's been beaten into my soul that you don't show an affront to a superior officer in front of civilians. I'm not, I'm not going to buck up against my superiors. I'm the rookie. I'm the, I'm the newbie. I do what I'm told. I go, I go get the donuts and the coffee when they tell me. I'm not going to stand up to all of my commanding. I'm the lowest guy on the totem pole on this street. You're expecting me to stand up to all my superior officers? That's not going to happen. Mm. And so while it's unfortunate that this guy died, what do you want me to do? I got into this gig to try and work my way up through the ranks and change the culture. And now I, I get arrested? And so he even had family members who are also of mixed race calling for his arrest. So that's an uncomfortable uh, 4th of July weekend at that family because I believe he's out on bail right now. So I think as I've been trying to increase my empathy towards people of color, when I read this story, I was like, what would I have done if I was in that situation? I probably would not have stood up. I'd like to thank this heroic version of myself that, oh, I know right from wrong, and I have this moral compass, and uh, I'm, I'm a strong individual. If I'm a rookie officer, person of color, I have no father figure uh, that I grew up with, or my actual father I didn't grow up with, and I'm in that situation, there is no way I'm going over to that superior officer and pulling him off the pile. Would you? I would probably be a coward, too. I would probably succumb to the pressure. Uh, and, and it doesn't mean 
that I feel like what happened there was right or what he did was right. But now I understand it a little bit better. Now I understand it a little bit more. And to your point, if we're going to have sympathy or empathy or have any kind of understanding for people of color, then we also need to understand what it is like to put that uniform on as a person of color and then react and respond to people of color in the black community and react and respond to people uh, that are white. It's very interesting because I talked to a friend of mine and I've shared his story before who's a 29-year-old state trooper, just had a baby. Uh, before he had the baby, he's been on the front lines in riot gear, standing there and listening to people call him an uncle Tom. You're 29 years old. You've been a state trooper for two and a half years. You joined for the same reason that Alex joined to make a difference. And now you're standing there at two in the morning You have this battle rattle on. People are hurling stuff at you. And you feel for the people on the other side that are hurling rocks and calling you names and throwing Molotov cocktails. And then they see the color of your skin, which may be the same color as their skin. And then they call you uh, Jim Crow or Uncle Tom. What is that like? Because when you go home and you take that uniform off, you are still a black man who's 29 years old, who's only been a cop for two and a half years. And you joined to make a difference. And now the people in the community that you wanted to help are throwing rocks at you. And somehow, now you've brought a baby into this world. And that is supposed to all make sense to you. And you're supposed to process that and get up and just go back to work. And I don't think it works that way. It's one of the reasons why the military brainwashes. And they really do. You ask someone that joins the Marine Corps. You know what they do? James Hatfield talks about this, the lead singer of Metallica, because he's studied this. They rip you down to the studs of your life. They rip you down. Who you think you were or who you think you are, they take that all away when you go to boot camp. And when you become a Marine, you know what they teach you to do? Your job, your job as a Marine is to kill, kill, kill. That's your job. Your job is to kill, kill, kill first. That's your first job. And then after that, you might drive a truck. You may fly a helicopter. You may fly a jet. You may fly a, you, you may fly a plane somewhere, some cargo. But at the end of the day, your job as a Marine is to kill, kill, kill. And now I take you out of the military. And a lot of men and women that are in our police departments are from the military. If you go online like I did today and I looked at State Patrol, they say that they're a paramilitary organization. Paramilitary. Can you imagine taking a Marine, and you know I love the Marines. Hoorah, hoorah, semper fi, ding, ding, air power, semper paratus. I am all about it. But now you've taken a Marine who's gone to Afghanistan, who's gone to Iraq, and now they come back. And maybe they have PTSD, but they need a job, so they join a local police department. That training to kill, 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 that doesn't go away. That's still in you. You've still been ripped down to the studs of your life. And now you're expected to go out and not kill, kill, kill. Unless you have to kill somebody. 
That's why you carry that gun. You carry that gun so you can kill someone. That's why that's there. You don't take that out to threaten someone. You take it out. They tra- when you take that gun out, be prepared to use it. Be prepared to take someone's life. And when you take someone's life, be prepared to deal with the consequences. So here's the question. If we have men and women coming back from places like Iraq and Afghanistan, and then we're hiring them into our police departments, and then we're handing them a vehicle like the Buffalo, which is an MRAP. It's an $800,000 vehicle. We talked about this before. They're all over the United States. All these vehicles, these former vehicles in Iraq and Afghanistan are here on our streets. And then you dress up like you're in the military. I see pictures from these police departments all around the country. And I don't mind police departments looking cool with jumpsuits and other stuff. But you, why, why are you in camo? Why are you in camo? For the men and women putting that camo on? Their full battle rattle as they call it? You put that on when you go to war. And you notice what we do here in Seattle? We have the bike cops out. Community policing, we're nice. You know what's right around the corner? The full battle rattle. The MRAP. The military vehicles. And then you take those things away in the middle of a riot. And then you tell police officers, hey, we're going to take all that gear away. You stand there with your batons, no more tear gas. And then you protect the East Precinct until we tell you to not protect the East Precinct. And then we give the East Precinct up. And in the middle of all this, 45 officers get hurt. It is so effing confusing. For those of us in the public, those that have been in the military and now have joined paramilitary organizations, and now you have cops out there in military vehicles dressed up like they're not one of us. You don't think that's pressure on a young man like this? You don't think he feels the pressure of that? And when people say they want to fire these police departments all around the country, part of me is with you. We don't need to see Hummers and Buffaloes and MRAPs going down the streets of Seattle or the city that you're in. We don't. At the same time, I don't want to see a bunch of great cops stand in front of the East Precinct, be told to protect the precinct, 45 of them get injured, and then they're standing there and they have no non-lethal gear. It's all been taken away. The only thing they have is their baton and a gun. So supposedly Seattle is one of the most progressive, well-trained police departments in the country. Don't forget, Carmen Best, who on the last show I called Carmen Electra. Sorry about that. Got my Carmens wrong. She had asked right before this riot, she had gone to the federal government, to a federal judge and said, you know what? We have one of the best police departments in the country. We don't need to have the federal government looking over us anymore. We've made the corrections. We are an example to cops everywhere. People come from all over the country to see the example of what we do here, specifically on bikes during riots. And now, instead of standing up and saying those same things and pushing back, She's like, she's, she, she's, she's canceled that request with the federal government. So which is it? 
I'd love to get Jenny Durkin to tell us in her $8.7 million home. $8.7 million home. And they marched on it the other day. She didn't want anyone to know in the city of Seattle where she lives. Because she said she's in law enforcement. And there might be people out there that want to hurt her. No, you just didn't want for all of us to see you in your $8.7 million home. Nothing wrong with living in an $8.7 million home. But don't pretend like you know what it's like for the rest of us. Don't pretend like you know what it's like for people that are on the mean streets of Seattle. Don't pretend. So coming back to Ron's point, when you have police departments that look like the military, they've been trained like the military, and these are paramilitary organizations, and then you take a young man like Alex or a young trooper like my friend Nolan, and you say, you know what? Come be a part of it. And then when the her hits the fan, remember when you got ripped down to the studs of your life? Kill, kill, kill. You're supposed to respond and let your training take over. In the military, your training is to kill someone. If you're hiring men and women that have been trained to kill people, if you're taking things from the military and you're using those same practices in law enforcement, something has to change. Because they're not teaching police officers to hug, hug, hug. And a lot of times you can't. Because someone just raped somebody, murdered somebody, killed somebody. It's not time to hug, hug, hug. You have to kill, kill, kill. It's the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. When it comes to your real estate journey, it truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. That's what Heather and Juan Carlos did. We got so lucky. I don't think we could have gotten this house without Ron and Don. So now we had to sell our old house. We had to sell it because we couldn't have been able to afford you know, paying two mortgages. And Ron and Don had already been thinking of strategies the whole time they were strategizing. What, what, what will we do if this and what will we do if that? And so we put it on the market on Saturday. There was a lot of interest. They made an offer on the, on the offer date for over asking price we did amazing it was the best case scenario we couldn't have done better it couldn't have been a better experience and the buying process was wonderful and the selling process it felt like we were their most important project i couldn't be happier with the experience we had we all celebrated it felt like a team victory (laughs) we were all just jumping up and down don't forget when you're ready to sit down and start your real estate journey Schedule your time with the guys at runanddonsitdown.com. When you're ready to sit down with Ron and Don and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at runanddonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, here we go. Episode 124 of the Ron and Don Show. Don't forget, we are licensed brokers at Windermere, buy and selling, trading. No, we don't recommend you trade your real estate. I'd like to trade the Les Schwab Studios for Jenny Durkin's mansion. 
Yeah, reach out to Ron. Ron at Windermere.com. Don O'Neill at Windermere.com. This is one of my favorite things we do. I'm going to pitch. Ron's going to hit. I'm going to throw five headlines his way and just get his call and response. Ron, headline number one from the Wall Street Journal this morning says local viruses now are surging throughout America. It's jeopardizing plans to reopen elsewhere. And a lot of places like in Arizona and Florida where your parents live, they're hitting the reverse button. They're closing down bars, closing down restaurants, closing down gyms. What say you? I think it's unfortunate that this happened during an election year and people chose size politically, ignoring the science. And I was having a very heated talk, but it was a good talk with my sister yesterday. Scientists, by when I say scientist, I mean an actual scientist. They are not driven by politics. So when an epidemiologist, who, if you think about this, went through high school, then they went to four years of college, then typically four years of medical school, then typically at least a year or not two of residency, and then they start their practice. And so they might have 20 plus years of scientific rigor under their belt. When a scientist like a Dr. Fauci, who has way more years than that, is talking, he doesn't care if you're a Republican or Democrat. They look at the science. They talk to you about the science. So then when a Yahoo governor like Texas or Florida is like, well, I don't care what you say, science guy. You're part of the liberal elite. You probably read the New York Times and their fake news hashtag. I'm going to go ahead and open up my state because this is America. You can't tell me what to do these are the results you get it is not a badge of honor to not wear a mask it is not some sort of badge of courage to disregard scientists facts are facts beliefs are beliefs they are not the same thing and and so this we talked about this two months ago where I said, this is going to surge again because it is not sensitive to heat in the same way that the flu virus is. And I'm, I'm very sad that I was right about that. Okay. Next time, I went to school with Leslie. So next time you guys are having this conversation, call me up. I'll sit in the corner. Hopefully it's on video. I'll grab some popcorn. I would love to watch the fireworks considering the fact uh, the 4th of July is upon us. Uh, headline number two, this from NPR. It says uh, the European Union has set a new list of approved travel partners and the United States of America is not on that list. This is upsetting as well. Um, not just because I had travel plans. My, my plane ticket was just canceled. Um, what does this say about us? Uh, I, I really like this story because what you have is the European Union, which I believe is 13 different countries. So again, they don't have, if, if you if you take them as a group, they are not a unified political force. There are many different parties, many different belief structures. Uh, there's a, a wide range of uh, world views that comprise the EU. As a body, though, they looked at us as a country and said, you guys are nuts. You guys are crazy. You're not doing it right. We should all, if, if you had 13 different experts take a look at your life in, in, in a specific area, said, we all think you're doing that wrong, you would be an idiot to not pay attention to that. Am I right? If you had, if I'm like, oh, I'm, I want to get an, an opinion on my diet and exercise program, and you had 13 different experts that uh, all looked at you and said, we don't know what you're doing, but we know it's wrong. 
You'd be an idiot to not go, hey, maybe I should reevaluate this. So that's what's happening right now. 13 different countries with 13 different worldviews, 13 different political spectrums, 13 different sets of scientists and experts look at us and say, you're doing it wrong. We should pay attention to that. All right, uh, Carl Reiner, dead at the age of 98, going back to June 22nd. They say if he's going to write a life memoir, it would have been, I'm going to exit this life laughing. Let's not forget, though, in a lot of his movies and a lot of his television shows, like even the Dick Van Dyke show, he was willing to take on a lot of controversial topics at the time. And they would sit there and talk about things. Dick Van Dyke, Mary Tyler Moore. Do we put him in bunk beds? Do they sleep in the same bed? Do they ever kiss? Do they ever have sex? Where did Richie come from? What are we going to do? He's willing to tackle a lot of these issues early on, right? And, and uh, also the father of Rob Reiner, if I'm not correct, That's right? right? Yeah. So sort of one of those uh, comedic genius families. I don't, I'm not super well-versed with him, but I, I look at him and the Mel Brooks of the world and guys that really had to work at it mm-hmm. uh, to build a career and to figure out. At the time, the entertainment business was a business. You had to be very smart and nimble. And even if you look at the uh, Jerry Lewis type of character back in the day, you had to know how things worked, and then you had to work it. Uh, and so I have a lot of respect for people of that era that took risks and were legit fun. They knew where the funny was. And if you ever, I, I don't know if it was Rob Reiner, but I think it was Jerry Seinfeld, one of his comedians in cars getting coffee, uh, brought lunch to, I think it was Rob Reiner and Mel. It Brooks. was, that's right. Yeah. And so, uh, they like a very specific deli. Yeah. Uh, Jerry went and picked up the food. He delivered it to them and they had an, a chat, uh, and they, Rob Reiner and, and, Mel Brooks watched Jeopardy every night because their wives had become friends and they became friends. Both wives passed away. Mm. So my heart goes out to, to Mel Brooks then because he's very sad uh, and had no longer has a Jeopardy dinner partner. Yeah. 98, that's a pretty good run. It's a very good run. That's a pretty good life. Amazing that Mary Tyler Moore no longer with us, Rob Reiner no longer with us, but, or uh, his father no longer with us, but Dick Van Dyke still with us, right? In his 90s now. So that's incredible. All right, question number four. We got five questions coming your way. Let's pivot to sports now. When it comes to Colin Kaepernick, does he play in the NFL this year? And also, do you see players kneeling with him during the national anthem? Does the whole NFL take a knee? Uh, Let's not forget Jerry Jones took a knee with the Dallas Cowboys one time. And then after that, he's like, hey, I took the knee. Now everybody stand up and shut up. All right. Stand up. Don't disrespect the flag. Well, now that Roger Goodell has basically come out and done a mea culpa, then of course, like if, if the players don't kneel, I would be surprised. I, I hope that Colin Kaepernick gets a, a chance. And even the, the Seahawks looked at him and didn't bring him in. When you had a backup QB uh, um, that was pointing a, a gun at his wife and got arrested uh, and, and all kinds of different problems there. So So Colin Kaepernick deserves another shot to play. I don't know if they're even going to play this year. So, you know, dissecting roster moves is a little bit of navel gazing to me right now. But I I do think that the Seahawks would it would be a hugely popular move here uh, if if they signed Colin Kaepernick and brought him in. He's a, a similar style of quarterback to Russell Wilson. So I think the offense would be in good hands if he needs to get in there and play. Uh, and I don't know why you wouldn't bring him in now. You would look like a champion uh, among the players and among a lot of fans right now. I, I would love the move. What about you? 
It's not what about me. I'm pitching your hitting. Oh. Fifth question. You ready to go here? Uh, give me a movie. Could be something on Netflix, a series that you're watching right now that you love and why. And also tell us about a book right now that you're reading uh, you love and why. Uh, the movie, I, we, I'm in this movie club. I, the best movie I've seen in years, and I'm going to sound like Tom Tangney. It's subtitled, I know. <laughs> it's called Border. B-O-R-D-E-R. It's okay. a Swedish movie, I believe. I'm not even going to give you a setup. It is the mo- it sticks. I still think about that movie. It's been like a month since I've seen it. It's the it is the most engaging movie that I've seen in years. It's it it's a it's a work. Uh, it's a little edgy. It's very weird. Um, it's subtitled. All of those things. It is very very worth it. I'm finishing up season three of Ozark. Uh, it's very dark as well. Then I'm going to jump into dark. If you haven't seen the series dark, it's German also subtitled really, really complex. The most complicated show I've ever watched, but worth it. Uh, the book I'm excited to read about. I did buy, um, is it so you want to be, so you think you're a racist or whatever that book is called. And uh, so that one, and then there's a new book out by a woman named Maria Kornikova, that is uh, a New York time, like a New York author that does a lot of stuff about uh, how your brain works and life skills. She knew nothing about poker. She became a championship poker player with Eric Seidel, right. who was in the movie Rounders. I just ordered her book. It's, she's been working on it for three years. Um, it's not about poker. It's about the way you think and how you assess risk and how you use probabilities to make good choices in life. Um, I'm really looking forward to that book. And so go check her out because that, that's going to be a really good read. She's All very right. smart. I love it. There you go. You got questions for Ron? Write them. Ron at Windermere. Dot com. Nice job on that. Anyway, we come back. We'll finish up. It's the Ron and Don Show only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Follow us on the social media platforms. Just search for Ron Upshaw or Don O'Neill. All right, you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Episode 124. It's the Ron and Don Show. We're live from the Les Schwab studios today. Uh, before we get out of here. Uh, something that I've been doing for quite some time. And I just want to share this with you. And I wrote something about this and I put it up on my Facebook page. If you look for uh, Donald Neal, you can read it there. I think one of the real issues and problems that we have, and we've all heard this word silo, right? We're all siloed. Uh, but that word comes from somewhere. And look in your phone and just ask yourself, are there a bunch of people in your phone that think and look like you do? And for the longest time, I would look in my phone and I would see people, uh, especially my closest friends, that would think and look like I do. And a number of years ago, I challenged myself to say, you know, I need to break out of this silo because the view of my life has become very narrow and I have become very intolerant of other people in other cultures. It's one of the reasons why I went and got my uh, passport a number of years ago and I said, Ron, let's go travel. And I went on a trip with Ron and his brother and our friend Carter. It's life-changing. It was life-changing when you have a worldview, a world perspective. It's also life-changing when you see the way that people look at us when we're in other countries. It is, some of it's alarming. Some of it is absolutely alarming, you guys. Some of it's shameful. Because some of it's right. Anyway, I started doing something called a walk and talk about once a month. I just call somebody. 
In fact, I did this uh, the other day with my friend Eric Sano, and he is the captain of the North Precinct here in Seattle for SPD. And so in the middle of all these officers, in the middle of SPD taking all this heat, I wanted to go walk and talk with Eric. So we went to Green Lake, and we just walked around Green Lake. He had his gear on. We talked. And you should have seen him, the way that he interacted uh, with people that were walking by. There's an older couple that was sitting on a bench. And by the way, Eric is a person of color. The way he interacted with a group of 12 school children that were moving through the park and the way he interacted uh, with their teachers, the way he interacted with a bunch of boys that were on a basketball court that were 11, 12, 13 years old, many young boys of color, the way he interacted and spoke with them and the way they interacted with him. It was an incredible thing to watch. I didn't expect it. I knew that Eric was a good man and a good guy. But to see him in that gear, and then to have, we walked into a Starbucks. One of the employees ran over to him and was so concerned about some of the client base that comes into Starbucks. Because some of the folks that come in there are homeless and they don't have masks on. She was concerned, as I spoke with her later, that some of, those, some of those homeless people coming in without ass would be arrested. And she didn't want to see them arrested. She didn't want to see someone like Eric in his gear, his SPD gear with his badge and his gun. She didn't want to see them arrested. Walking and talking. Putting the phone down. Jumping off our screens. And walking and talking with people that may necessarily not look like us. And I think for some of us that don't understand police officers, and we talked a lot about policing, a lot of what I've learned about policing, I've learned from police officers that feel like, we talked about paramilitary, there are many, many officers that don't feel like it's right to be in a paramilitary organization or to have that gear or those uniforms and all that stuff and to lack the training and to not have uniformity across the board. 36 years on, First commander, and he's Asian, first Asian commander of any precinct here in Seattle. His grandfather and his father was intern during World War II. Family lost everything. They were arrested here locally, and they were forced to go pick strawberries for three years. When they came back to get their businesses and their homes, they were gone. And the U.S. government said, have a nice day. So he understands. His family understands. And finally, during the Vietnam War, his mom would send him to school with his brother with said shirts that had shirts that said, "We are not Vietnamese. We are Japanese." Because other kids would call him her eyes, refer to the yellow of his skin, and then beat the hell out of him. So there's a commander in the North Precinct, you guys, that gets it. He gets it. Lots of good cops out there that get it. We need to walk and talk with each other. We need to walk and talk with people that don't look like us. We need to check. Do you even check a Rolodex anymore? Look in your phone. Is it a bunch of people that look like you, believe like you do? Or do we have the courage to walk and talk and have these impossible conversations that America is starting to have right now? 
which I think is really, really cool. Any final thoughts before we get out of here today, Ron? Uh, no, that was good to hear. I, I, uh, I can do a better job at that, too. I was just talking to some uh, people last night of color, and it is interesting to just you learn and listen and try to you know, open your ears a little bit. So we're still on that journey, even though it's not on the front page every day. Mm-hmm. I just encourage everybody find something that's challenging. I, I hope people will remind them again, because you were talking about stuff we're listening and consuming. If you have not listened to Uncivil yet, please subscribe and listen to them. They're very short. They're like 20 minute episodes. You'll binge listen the whole season. And it's so well researched and so well produced that if that doesn't give you a new perspective on on america and history then i don't know what will so that you know uncivil go listen to it right now uh, it's so so good and it will it will change your it'll change you yeah we got to go we're about to do a run it on sit down i think with our friend diane if it's time for you to start your real estate journey we would love to be a part of it and sometimes it's just sitting down and coming up with a strategy we can do that write me don o'neill at windermere.com or Ron Upshaw at windermere.com. And everything right now is at Ron and Don sit down. Sit down.com. Keep your head up, shoulders back. We'll see you next time. For episode 125, we will talk with a local mom, an activist. Yeah, and she's one of the biggest and baddest real estate agents on the east side. Her young son, Gabriel, has autism. And she is going to talk about what it has been like to live with Gabriel and have this superpower. Gabriel causes, he says his autism is his superpower. And we'll talk to Britt Whitmer about that on episode 125. Only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Ron and Don. 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 On the Ron and Don Radio Network, man. Okay, how much do I have to pay you for this? (laughs) One (laughs) dollar.